Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Again, we're in Exodus chapter 25. Grab your Bibles, uh, go to verse 31. We'll be looking at 31 through um, 40, and then we'll be... Uh, heading to Jesus, okay? Um, uh, if you've been at Seneca Baptist long enough, you're going to know that wherever I start in the Bible, I'm going to start there. I'm going to talk about the Bible in context. We're preaching through God's Word. And then I'm going to make a beeline for the cross of Jesus as quickly as possible. Uh, you know that about me. Um, that's what we do. We believe that all of the Bible, start to finish, has a main character in mind. And the main character is not you. It's not me. It's not any of the characters in the Bible, like David or Moses. But the main character in the Bible is always Jesus. Every story is pointing to Him. And that's our hope for you. Our desire for you this morning is that you, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that by the time you leave, you would have a heart that loves Jesus and is ready to worship Him and give yourself to Him. And if you do know Jesus, your love for Christ would bubble up today and it would become so new that you walk away a different person. That's our prayer. Is that okay? All right. Let's just, let's just give that a prayer really quickly. Would you bow with me? Speak, O Lord, to us. And don't let us walk away the same as we came. But may the word... Pierce our hearts and change our lives. And may the word not stop with a change inside. But may it be outward and may it affect the world. For the sake and glory of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Now, again, I know that you, as I read this passage earlier, um, nobody thinks, woohoo, the lampstand. Yeah, I've been waiting to get to the lampstand in the book of Exodus. But remember, everything in the Bible is a shadow. In the Old Testament, is a shadow. Um, a shadow is not the substance. It's, the shadow is not the real thing. The shadow is not the point. Um, but every shadow is pointing to the substance, and we know the substance is Jesus. And so we're going to look at this with Jesus in mind. And so reading about the lampstand now is beautiful because we have Jesus in mind, okay? So grab your Bible uh, and go to Exodus. We're going to walk through uh, God's design and intention for the lampstand. Now, as God did this, as God designed the lampstand, He did it with great intention. I want you to see in verse 31, God has given specific detailed instructions. He had specific instructions for everything He does because God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. A God of order. And in 2531, this is what we see. You shall make a lampstand of what? Pure what? Gold. Gold. It should be made of pure gold. Now, if you look down real quick in verse 39, 
it says it shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of gold. Now, a talent of gold was likely about 75 pounds of gold. Now, when we think of a, a menorah, have you ever seen a Jewish menorah? We see them and they're about this big. They sit on a mantle or a shelf. They're pretty small, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about 75 pounds of lampstand. Now, think about this. 75 pounds of pure gold. That's some money right there. Now, if you think about that, as of this is this past Wednesday, as of Wednesday, 75 pounds of pure gold would cost you $2.4 million. This lampstand was something. Pure gold. Verse 32, it, it says that it would be made to look like a tree. The, the lampstand, there should be six branches going out of its sides. Three branches on one side, three branches on another side, with kind of the trunk in the middle. So six uh, branches and a trunk. So like a tree. And at verse 33, at the end of each branch was were cups that looked like almond blossoms. Cups that looked like almond blossoms. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch. So cups up each branch. And then in verse 34 and 35, we see that on the lampstand itself, the trunk, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms. So are you getting this in your head? So we've got a, a kind of a trunk in the middle, three branches on each side, and going up each branch are almond blossoms and cups on each one of them. And then it says in verse 37, the verse 37, you shall make seven lamps for it. And the lamp shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. So these seven lamps were on the top of each branch and these seven lamps would be fed with pure oil to uh, keep this light going in the holy place. And so why? Why is the question? Why is there inside the holy place a lampstand? So in your Bible, or you can look up on the screen, go to chapter 27, verse 20. 27, verse 20. I, I want to encourage you, bring your Bible to church. Bring your Bible to church, open it up, flip through it with me. I want you to see it in the Word of God. The screen is good, but it's only meant to be a blessing and not uh, kind of a, in, in addition, but not in, in exchange for. So Exodus 20, verse 20, 27, excuse me, Exodus 27, verse 20 and 21. says, You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light. That a lamp may be, or may regularly be set up to burn. Verse 21, in the tent of meeting outside the veil that's before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Now, catch the picture. So we talked about uh, a few weeks ago the Ark of the Covenant. The ark is on the inside of the most holy place. And the ark contained a few things. It contained the law of God. It contained a jar of the manna that God provided for Israel through the wilderness. And it contained the staff of Aaron that had budded. It was a reminder, a symbol to God's people of his word, his presence, his power, his provision. 
And there on top of the ark, this box, this golden box, was a mercy seat. And this mercy seat on either side of it had two golden cherubim. Angels, warrior angels. And they were a reminder to all of God's people that between the sinful man and a holy God, there was a separation. That sinful people couldn't come into the presence of a holy God. But in, uh, in underneath the, the cherubim on top of the ark, was the mercy seat. And it was the place where once a year, the high priest, the great high priest, would come in and sprinkle the blood of goats and calves on this mercy seat to atone for the sins of all of Israel. And so this place was to be a reminder of God's redemption, of God's forgiveness, of a way that God would forgive the sins of the people year after year after year. And then there was a veil. Do you remember the curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place? This curtain kept the common folk out, so common folk couldn't come in. And outside of that curtain, in the holy place, so you've got the most holy place, the holy of holies, and then you've got the holy place. So most holy, holy, and with a curtain in between. In the holy place, there was a table. This is what we looked at last week. A table, and on top of the table was the bread of God's presence. His face. It was the bread of God's presence. And also there were vessels for drink offerings. And they were a reminder of God's people, how God would sustain His people through uh, all time. And for us, it was a shadow that Jesus would come and one day He would be God's bread in, in flesh. And that He would be the bread broken for us. And that if we would eat of that bread, that we would live forever. And the vessels on top would be a reminder for us that, that Jesus' blood was shed. And if we would drink of the cup and eat of His body, that we would be saved. And last week we celebrated the Lord's Supper. We celebrated the Lord's Supper. Now, the problem with all of these things is they're inside a tent. And inside the tent, they did not have beautiful Christmas lights. And by the way, uh, a lot of people made our sanctuary very beautiful. And so thank you for you guys who did that. Uh, but we, they didn't have lights. They didn't have spotlights. They didn't have all these things to light up the inside. And so there was a lampstand. And the lampstand was to burn from evening to morning, every day throughout all generations, that darkness would not be associated with the holy place. That there would be a light shining in the darkness night after night. And it was a reminder for God's people that although the world might seem dark, that there is always God's light shining. And so... Something we need to see in this passage is that both the gold that was used in constructing the lampstand and the oil that was used is to be pure. Both of them were refined. How is gold refined? Gold is refined by what? Fire. Now, some of you have been to Israel with me. How is oil refined? By pressure. By pressing. By pressing. And so... Gold is refined by oil or by fire. Oil is refined by 
transgressing. There couldn't be impurities in either of them if they were to be used in the service of the Lord. It was to be set up in the holy place outside of the holy of holies. So this lampstand was set across from the table and it should shine on the table and the bread and the holy of holies and it would be kept burning all night long every day all year the lamp was to be a light shining in the darkness so here's what i want you to see as we get to this idea of shadows god used the idea of light and darkness throughout the bible to communicate ideas with his people darkness is not a thing in and of itself Darkness only exists because there is an absence of what? Light. Now darkness in the Bible was associated first with chaos. I want you to look at these verses with me. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 through 4. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 through 4 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Alright, it's void. It's without form. There's chaos in the world Uh, in whatever was um, before God began to create. Okay, There's darkness over the face of the deep. Verse 3 says, God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. What was the first thing that God brought into his world? Light. Light. Light has always been a symbol of that which is good and pure, and darkness has always been associated with evil. So darkness, secondly, symbolizes sin in the Bible. It symbolizes sin. Isaiah chapter 5, Mr. James, can you put the list back up there, brother? Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Does that sound like the world in which we live in? We call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter so it was a symbol in the old testament of both chaos and sin next it was a symbol of an ignorance of the truth an ignorance of the truth in psalm 82 verse 5 Mr. James, can you just put that list up that's next in line, brother? Thank you. There we go. It's, a, it's an ignorance of the truth. Now, you're going to have to write these down because we're not going to go through every one of them. We don't have time. You can do that on your own. Darkness was associated or symbolized spiritual blindness in Isaiah 55, 9 through 10. Darkness was associated with spiritual death, with spiritual death. And you can look at Job or Psalm 88. Darkness was symbolic of judgment. All of these things were what darkness symbolized. God used darkness to speak to his people, and he used darkness to symbolize a number of negative things. Chaos, sin, ignorance, blindness, death, and judgment. Amos chapter 5, verse 18 through 20 or 18 and 20 says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it. He's talking about the coming judgment of God. 
And then in chapter 8, verse 9 of Amos, it says, And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Does that sound familiar? What happened at the cross of Jesus? Darkness in the middle of the day. It's the, the moment of God's judgment being poured out. So I want you to understand something here, okay? I want you to understand that on day one, God created light. But it wasn't until day four, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 13 or 14, day four, God created sun, moon, stars. But day one, He created light. So lean in. Where'd the light come from if it didn't come from sun, moon, stars? Who's the light? God is. So in the beginning, God was the light. The sun, moon, stars reflect the light of God. They are to be a reminder for us that God is light. Did you know one day the sun, moon, stars will be no longer? There's coming a day where we won't need them. Why? Because God will illuminate His city. God was light. He's revealing Himself from the very beginning as the light of the world. And what does it mean that God is light? It means that He is wisdom, truth, holiness, purity. It means that God is the standard of all that is good and just and right. That He is the fullness of God's grace and mercy and love and life. So this is who God is. God is light. So we've looked at the shadows. Let's get to the substance. Now I want you to think about this idea for a moment. Our world, created by God who is light was in Genesis chapter 3 subjected to the distortion of sin, the darkness of sin. And from that moment forward, the world was plunged into a form of darkness. Have you ever been somewhere? Maybe you've been on a mission trip. Maybe you've been to a, a place and you felt darkness there. Maybe you watch TV, you watch the news, you watch things going on in our world, and there's just this evil, dark feeling around it. Have you ever experienced that? We were plunged into a kind of spiritual darkness. Yes, the sun is there. Yes, the moon is there. And last night, before I went to bed, it was very bright. Yes, the stars are there on a clear night. But there is a spiritual darkness in our world that this world, that God's people, that He created, that they are plunged into. And now, since Genesis chapter 3, people have been walking around in darkness, spiritually. You know, for us as kids... How many of you remember being scared of the dark? Anybody ever scared of the dark? My, I had two older brothers. My two older brothers said, come on, Ryan, let's watch the movie Gremlins. Okay, I'm, I'm six, seven years old. 
and I watch Gremlins, you know what I would not do at night for the next couple years? Get out of my bed. Or if I did really have to get out of my bed in the middle of the night to go use the restroom or something like that, it was how quickly and how many leaps must it take to get to the door because outside the door there was a light on. I was afraid of what was in the dark. From a very little young age, we all probably are subjected to that thought that dark is bad, light is good. Have you ever walked around in the dark in your house? Many, many pinky toes have been subjected to the corners of coffee tables in the dark. Amen? There is no pain on earth like crushing your pinky toe in the middle of the night. There's nothing like it. It has consequences. It has consequences. You might wake up in a stupor um, out of a deep sleep. you got to go use the restroom in the middle of the night. Have you ever run into something in the dark in your own house where you walk every day? Yes, I have to. See, walking around in the dark has consequences and all of this world that God has created to walk in the light has been plunged into darkness and mankind has been walking around in darkness. Fear has been our great um, uh, enemy, one of our great enemies. And in walking around in darkness, there have been many, many consequences. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 And I find it fitting for this season that we're about to enter into. Isaiah 9, verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep deep darkness, on them has light shone. Who's Isaiah talking about? Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come in the land of Galilee. And the Messiah would bring light into a dark world. Now let me tell you three reasons why Jesus came as the greater lampstand, the light of the world. Three reasons. Are you ready, church? Here we go. Number one, revelation. He came as revelation. What do I mean by that? It means that he is revealing himself to the world as the light of the world. John chapter 1, verses 4 through five, and then verse nine says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Who is this? Jesus, the Word of God, the light of God. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I want you to lean in here. Let Let me just be really honest with you. If you are not following Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the Bible reveals very clearly that you are walking around in darkness. There is no riding the fence with Jesus. You either bow to him as king, crown him as king, or you hate him. There's no middle ground. 
You either follow after Jesus, the light of the world, or you are walking in darkness. Two options. And some of you, I hope that today, God would shine light into your darkness and you would come awake, you sleeper. So he's the light of the world. Now, do you remember, go back just a moment in Exodus. Do you remember that it was made of pure gold and pure oil? Gold had to be refined by fire and oil had to be pressed. So if Jesus is going to be the light of the world, what would have to happen to him? He'd have to be refined by fire and pressed by pressure. And isn't that exactly what happened to him in his latter days? He was refined in the furnace of affliction. Imagine the things that Jesus experienced. Hated, mocked, spat upon, beard pulled, slapped, hit, beaten. He was scourged. The furnace of God's affliction. And then he was pressed. In Mark chapter 14, just before Jesus is arrested, he goes to a place called what? Gethsemane to pray. Do you know what the word Gethsemane means in Hebrew? The oil press. That night, as Jesus, the light of the world, is going to be betrayed, he finds himself, coincidentally, I hope you saw my my sarcasm there, he chose to go to the oil press. And there, do you remember what happened? He experienced or he began to experience the weight of what he would go through in the next 24 hours. He began to experience the separation from God that our sins deserve. He began to experience the judgment of God. And there he looks into the heavens and he says, Abba, if it's possible... Let this cup pass from me. What cup? It's the cup of judgment. Let this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Let that be done. And what happened to him? It says in Luke that he began to sweat drops of blood. He experienced pressing. The pressure of the weight of God's wrath was upon him. And for the first time in all of history, he lifted up his voice, and when he cried out to God, the heavens were silent. See, the light of the world has to be refined by fire and purified by pressing. He came to reveal himself to us. He came to illuminate. So, revelation, secondly, illumination. Illumination. Now, in in the tabernacle, the lampstand would shine on the table, on the bread, on the, the vessels, on the holy place. And it was to shine upon these things. And now we see that Jesus has come to show us that all of those things are simply shadows. They're copies of heavenly things. They were a picture for us 
to hold on to until the revelation of Jesus Christ would come. They were a guardian. The law was a guardian for us until Jesus came to redeem us from the law. And so they, Jesus came to illuminate the sacrificial system to say that this is not what's actually going to save you, but I'm going to be a sacrifice one day that will. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 3 through 4 and 6. It talks about this illumination. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Not everybody will see the gospel. Not everybody will see the gospel. Not everybody will be able to comprehend the light and see. For some, it will be veiled. And it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Remember what darkness symbolizes? Spiritual blindness. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see the shadow and the substance? That in the Old Testament, there was a lampstand that would shine upon the, the, these temporary things in the tabernacle to be a reminder to them but now, Christ has come to shine the light of His face upon us that we might see and behold Him. He is the bread. He is the sacrifice. He is the mercy seat. He has come not just for revelation's sake, but for illumination's sake. And He's also come for salvation. Revelation, illumination, salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 18 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Follow with me. There's a flow here. Jesus came to reveal Himself. He came to illuminate your eyes and enlighten your hearts so that you might trust in Jesus. Many of you have, have found out God has revealed to you that the road that you're walking is utter darkness. People will often come to me and they'll say, I've tried this and I've tried that and I've tried this to make my life better. And what I want to say and what I sometimes do say is, how's that going for you? Come to Jesus. You're walking in darkness. He's come to reveal Himself. He's come to illuminate your heart, enlighten your heart so that you might trust in Christ and in Christ alone. 
And in this salvation, he teaches us to walk differently. The idea of a walk, we often will talk to each other and go, hey, how's your walk doing? How's your walk with Jesus going? How's your Christian walk going? Because this walk and this, this relationship with Christ is known as the way in the first church. The way. And, and so, how are you walking on the way? And Jesus teaches us how to walk, not in darkness, but in light. In the, in the light of Christ. He teaches us to walk in the light, but not everybody's going to see Jesus and walk in the light. In John chapter 9, there's a story about a man born blind. Do you remember this story? I love this story. I just read it the other day in my devotion time. And there's this story about a man born blind. Jesus spits in the mud and heals him. Miles at that time said to me, see, Jesus spit. And I said, buddy, when you can heal somebody with your spit, you let me know. And he spits in the dirt and he makes mud and he puts it on this guy's eyes. I'm like, Jesus, wasn't there another way, brother? Like, I, I love you, but you could have just said, stop being blind. And he would have not been blind. Why would you have to spit in mud, right? So he makes mud, puts it on his eyes, and this man who's born blind can now see. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees just go berserk. And they question the young man who's been born blind and now can see and they don't believe his testimony, so they call his parents and say, hey, we need you to come down here and talk to us. Is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. How, did he, how can he now see? We don't know. He's of age. Ask him. So they ask him again. And finally, the guy has enough of it. He says, I've told you once. I've told you twice. Do you want to be disciples of Jesus too? The Pharisees. He begins to teach them. And the Pharisees look at him and say, man, you're born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And Jesus says something about them. He says in John chapter 9, he says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see might see. And those who think they see couldn't. There is a danger of having the revelation of Jesus, your heart being illuminated by the Holy Spirit, that you now know who Jesus is, and then rejecting salvation. There is a danger of getting caught up in all of those things around Jesus and missing out on Jesus. The danger is, Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Beware, my friend, of seeing the light and choosing to walk in the darkness. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what's true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Friends, I want to encourage you, if you see Jesus as the light, walk in it. Follow Him. John 8 promises, if you will follow the light, you will never again walk in darkness. Sin plunged the world into darkness, and Jesus came to give you eyes to see. Light to follow. Now the problem with the light, it, is it doesn't illuminate everything, does it? If you're walking in the woods at night and you've got a flashlight, 
it does not illuminate every nook and cranny, does it? It only shines so far, doesn't it? But I promise you, if you will follow the light, you will never outpace your flashlight. If you will walk in the light, you will never come to a place where you get on the edge of your own flashlight. If you will walk in Jesus, in the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you will recognize that you are a sinner and that Christ Jesus is the Savior of the world and you will walk in Him, I promise you, you'll never walk in darkness again. Might you go through dark days? Yes. But the light is with you. Will there still be sickness? Mm -hmm. Will there still be death? Yes. Will there still be trials and tribulations? Of course there will be. But the light of the world will walk in that darkness with you. And although the world might not understand, you can see. Walk in the light. So that's, um, That was individuals. But then do you know that Jesus talks about light in His church? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts out the Sermon on the Mount and He says, you are the light of the world. You, who's He talking to? Everybody who's listening. You're the light of the world. And then He says this famous phrase, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Did you know that there's a, uh, a place in Israel, um, just in the Galilee region, just north of the Sea of Galilee, a, a little town called Safat. And Safat sits up uh, about 1,500 to 2,000 feet above the Sea of Galilee. And no matter where you are on the Sea of Galilee at night, you can see the lights of Safat. And so Jesus is teaching this Sermon on the Mount just a few miles away from where Safat is. And he's sitting on the edge of a hill, standing, facing the crowd. And I can imagine Jesus pointing up and saying, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The church is the light of the world. You are. God's light now shines in you and through you. And you are to be a lamp put on a stand that gives light to those around you, that your light would benefit your home, that your light would benefit your neighborhood, and your community, and your world, that you are a city set on a hill. No matter how dark it is, you will be that constant light in dark times. Do you live that way? And then in 1 Peter 2, he says of the church, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. That. Mr. James, do you have that? 1 Peter chapter 2. That's all right, brother. It says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this is who you are. You are a chosen race, a royal nation, a holy priesthood. For what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
This is who you are. Church, are we this? I fear we're not. I fear that we let the dark invade our territory rather than letting our light invade darkness. And God has designed it quite one way. That you might be a city set on a hill. That you might be a lamp on a table. That you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is why we exist. Have you thought about your world that you live in and said, man, our world's getting darker and darker and darker and darker. Come, Lord Jesus, let me tell you, he has not made or allowed it to become dark so that he could come back and rescue us. He has allowed it to become dark so that the light of Christ might shine brightly in us. It, this world, this nasty world that we sometimes live in, that we bemoan, God has provided an opportunity like never before for His people to stand up and shine brightly the light of the gospel. To declare His excellencies. God's direct intention of saving you and me is a proclamation of His excellencies. Let me ask you a question. Who have you shared the gospel with lately? Who, I don't mean who would you invite to church. But who's the last person you told about Jesus? That's why you exist. Let me wrap this up. At the end, the beginning of the Bible starts with God, who is light. His light shined in darkness. And at the end, in Revelation chapter 21, it says this. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. We're not, we're not going to need the temple of the Old Testament any longer. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives its light. And the lamp is the what? The lamb. Exodus reveals that there's a lampstand that shines. and gives light. Revelation says the lamp is the lamb. We won't need sun or moon anymore. By its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. There's coming a day, church family, where all this darkness will end. There's coming a day where we're not going to need spotlights. We're not going to need Christmas lights. We're not going to need any kind of lights. We're not going to need the sun or the moon. We are utterly dependent on the sun and its heat. Every day. But one day, we will not be dependent on anything else other than the lamp who is the lamb. One day, one day there will not be an ounce of darkness in his kingdom. A day's coming where all of the, the darkness that Genesis 3 caused will be undone. Because Jesus Christ will be will shine bright in all of his glory.
So fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your minds on things above. And let us, church family, shine. The light of Christ. Don't shine your light for goodness sakes. Shine His. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today acknowledging the simple fact that we all once walked in darkness. And the tendency even today is to, to continue in darkness. To continue walking in the ways and solutions and patterns of this world. But Father, I, I come to you today and I am utterly grateful for your grace that has saved us from darkness into light. But I, think, I think of stories around our church of people who acknowledge that just a few years ago, their life was darkness. Some, just a few weeks ago, their life was darkness. But now, because of Christ, they walk in light. They see. Thank you for Jack, who constantly reminds me that now he sees Jesus and everything is different. And Father, we're all, that's our story. Help us all to see Jesus. Let His light shine into our hearts. Father, when the world around us gets dark, let us run to the light. Walk in it. Your Word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Let us live in it. Father, I, I pray that we'd walk in the light as you're in the light. Father, help us today. And Father, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray that right now today you'd reveal yourself, you would illuminate their heart, and you'd bring them to salvation. In Jesus' name I do pray. And all God's people said, would you stand up and...